before we get started, I got one thing to say. Wow. I had no idea we had such a treasure. <laughs> Wonderful. I am surprised more and more. Absolutely beautiful. Very touching and very moving. Um, how many of you know that you are today sitting inside of a Methodist church? By raising your hands, let, let me know. How many know that you're inside of a Methodist church? Absolutely. We're uh, transitioning right now from Alpha United Methodist to Alpha Methodist, a global Methodist community. But what people don't know is the name Methodist was handed down to us for several hundreds of years. It started over in England with a group of guys. A lot of people attribute John Wesley with actually starting the Methodist movement, but it was actually his brother Charles. John was at home caring for his uh, father while Charles was still at, at school, college. And while he was there, he started the group of people who were getting together for the purposes of reading and studying Scripture and praying. And when John came back to school, he kind of took over, and, and things just went from there. But the origins of Methodism came from the desire and passion to read and study Scripture, and not just have it as knowledge, but, but to have their lives transformed by that knowledge. In other words, they would intentionally come to understand the areas in their lives where, where they needed to grow. And they would find the answers to that growth in the scriptures and apply it to their lives. The Methodists at that time, before they were the Methodists, were called the Holy Club. And the name Methodist were given was actually to make fun of them because this group of people had a method of doing everything. They met at the same time. They prayed at the same time. They read together. They, they had an understanding of what their day looked like. So the students that uh, were with them started calling them the Methodist because of their method of doing everything. But that name got passed down to us, and we wear it as a badge of honor because we, as Methodists, it is our duty to desire to become more like God. Jesus said, don't be just hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. And when we look at, at the scriptures sometimes, we look at our forefathers, as I call them, the apostles, and, and even be, before the apostles and disciples, Abraham and, and Joseph and Isaac, and we look at their lives, but there's an expectation that, that they lived perfect lives, and they did not. And sometimes when we read the scriptures, we need to read understanding that though called by God, they are just like us human beings. Today's passage of scripture comes from the book of Galatians chapter 2 verses 11 through 14. The word of God says, but when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood self-condemned. For until certain people came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But after they came, he drew back and kept himself separate for fear of the circumcision faction. And the other Jews joined him in this hypocrisy, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not acting consistently with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you compare the Gentiles to live like Jews? This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Father God, we come before you today and again, 
Thank you for all the blessings and guidance that you have given us in our lives. And thank you for your presence in all things. And Father, this day I ask that you be with me as we go into your word. Help to give us a message that would transform our lives. A message that would help us to look within ourselves and see the change that we need to make so that we can become more like you. As in the example that Christ gave us in his life. Father, I ask today that you be with me and into me of my desire to speak my own words, but fill me with your spirit that I would only speak words that would be pleasing to you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. That looks like a really tough passage of scripture and it doesn't seem very inspiring. But let me give you a little bit of background on what's happening here. Paul is the one who wrote this letter and he was believed that he wrote this to the church in Galatia while he was on the road to Macedonia. And I only say that so that we understand that, that he wasn't standing in their presence delivering this letter. It was written about a circumstance that, that he encountered that he wasn't very fond of, and he was letting the church at Galatia know. Paul was known as Saul, who had the Damascus Road experience when Christ came to him and transformed his life. Paul was known as a Pharisee up to that point, and he even claimed to still be a Pharisee during his days of preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, meaning that, that he was steeped in religion and he had a deep understanding of the word of God, more so than most people around him. Well, after his conversion, Paul came to understand one important thing in the Christian life, and it is probably the most important thing that we need to understand about Christianity, and it's the thing that I say all the time, that no man can ever work their way into the presence of God. Salvation is through Christ Jesus our Lord. It is God's free gift to us as he calls us into his family. And Paul came to understand that, and after his conversion, he didn't go back to Jerusalem and preach to the Jews. His ministry went outward from Israel, out into the Gentile world. People who, for the most part, had no connection with the Jewish religion or the Jewish culture. They were hearing the word of God, many of them, for the first time in their life. And what Paul was preaching was the gift of free salvation to an entire global community. But Paul went back to Jerusalem twice. Once three years after his experience with Christ and once 14 years later because he wanted to go back and, and help the people understand what it was that he was preaching. You see, under the Jewish faith prior to Christ, there was an understanding, there was a command that came down from God through Moses that all the men in the Jewish community should be circumcised. And that circumcision was a sign of our dedication to God. And it was a, a sign of a covenant that, that God made between him and man. But when Christ Jesus came into our world, Christ said what? We said all the time during communion that this is my blood of a new covenant. See, a, a new thing took that, that circumcision's place. A new covenant took over where the old covenant left off. And Paul went there and said to the people, this is what I'm preaching and this is what I'm teaching. 
This circumcision, that this outward work is no longer a requirement to enter into the family of God. It is done through Christ Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross. A new covenant has been created. And there is no need for us to perform these uh, physical acts anymore. And he's just one of the people that the church know, the early church. That this is what he was doing. And he wanted not to have them affirm, but he wanted to know if you're going to stand with me in this same understanding. And at that time, Peter and James, the brother of Jesus, were the ones who were heading up the early church in Jerusalem. But they were speaking to a Jewish culture who was just coming to understand Christ Jesus. So they were still hanging on to the circumcision law. James, I mean, sorry, Paul comes in, he brings his friends Titus and Barnabas with him, and he said, this is what we're teaching. Peter stands up and says, amen, brother, I agree with you. We are no longer bound by the law because of what Christ Jesus did for us. We are entering a new covenant through the blood of Christ, that we are no longer bound to the law, but we still honor the law in the lives that we live. Well, Paul left there feeling great really inspired about his message and he went back about his business and he went to Galatia and some of the church people went with him and they said, brothers and sisters, the church in Jerusalem agrees with us that we are saved by grace and grace alone. And Paul went on about his business and Peter went on about his business. But something happened. Something changed and we don't know when or where it changed and we don't know who led that change. But somebody flipped the boat back on them. Somebody came back into the church and started preaching salvation by works again. And Paul heard this and he became enraged. The letter to the church in Galatia, when you sit down and read it, is not a friendly letter. It is a letter written in anger. It really is. And we can see that in the very opening statements when Paul comes in to introduce himself. He introduces himself just like he normally does. Grace and peace from the Lord Jesus Christ. This is who I am. I'm Paul. I've been called by Jesus to, to announce uh, the good news of Jesus Christ. But he skips the rest of his salutation just like he does in the rest of the letter and gets straight to the point. He goes straight to the people and says, basically, why are you going astray? No, hey, how you doing? No, hey, how's life going? Let's get straight to the point. He was angry. And that's the point that I want to get there. This Paul's behavior and his reaction to what happened in life. Because if we as Christians are, are going to grow in the image of Christ, then we have to grow in patience and understanding as well. We have to understand that people are going to do things that we don't like. And even though we become angry, we are responsible for how we uh, respond to that anger. Paul did much, what much of us would do. He felt betrayed, I do believe, because he thought that he had the backing of the church on his side. And then come to find out that they, they turned the cart around on him. He probably felt isolated or alone in his quest, which probably fueled his anger. But do we think that it was accurate? Or do we think that it was right for him to, to lash out in anger? Because here's what we want to point out right here. Paul wrote this letter making accusations about Peter and telling people how he confronted Peter 
but Peter wasn't present. Peter was not present at the time this letter was written. This letter is telling a story of something that happened some time ago. It's almost as if he's taking out his anger on the church. See, Peter betrayed him. We're not going to deny that. And that invoked anger. But instead of dealing with that anger in a godly manner, he attacks the church. He gets out his pen and paper and he starts writing and he says to the church, this is what I hear about you. And this is what you're doing wrong. And I know Peter came down here at first. But look, you see an issue at hand there and as far as Christian behavior? Anger is one of those things in our lives that, that if it gets a hold of us, it will take control of us and it will change the way that we act and the way that we respond to the world around us. And it will impact heavily the way the outside world sees us. And I think more importantly, it will impact the way our own community of believers view us as a people. See, Scripture makes it absolutely clear that, that we are going to experience anger. We're human. It's going to happen. Christ himself experienced anger in the temple. Remember, he, he went to the temple, and he saw the, the merchants selling dolls at elevated prices for sacrifice taking advantage of the people and he knew at that time that, that it wasn't just the merchants but it was the priests who were in charge of the temple that were allowing it because they were taking a cut of it but when that happened Jesus didn't just burst out in anger scripture says that he actually sat and watched he contemplated his actions before he executed justice. And in this instance, executing justice was clearing the temple of the things that were impure. It was a calculated move. It wasn't a re response to emotion. He knew what he was doing. But sometimes when we experience anger, we don't take the time that we should to, to get a hold of ourselves and try and view our circumstances for what they are. Now, I don't know about you, but I, for one, can say that, that when I experience anger toward a person or, or a certain circumstance, that it kind of blows my vision of the reality of what's happening in my life. And I start thinking maybe instead of how this circumstance is going to impact my entire community, I, I start thinking about how it's just going to impact me and my life. And that just stirs the anger up any, every, every bit more. But then I have to Choose how I'm going to respond. And you see, sometimes in that stage of our life, in that stage of our walk when we experience anger, if we take the time to sit back and consider the consequences of our thoughts and our actions, then maybe we will change them. It's easy, so easy, is it not, to get angry at a child when they do something so innocent. But it wasn't necessarily something that we would want them to do or something that was good for them. And we feel 
the aggravation building up inside. Or maybe someone who who has authority over our lives make a decision that that impacts us, that, that we don't like. And it stirs up anger because we don't like the change that it's bringing upon us. And what we want to do is is lash out and do much like Paul did, yell out to anyone that can hear or anyone that's in our path, let me tell you what somebody has done against me. We've all experienced it. But we take into consideration the words of God. As Paul wrote to the church in Rome, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. That's where discipline comes in on all of our uh, sides of responsibility. We can't be governed by our emotions, and we can't let anger take root in our lives and control who we are as a people. We as Methodists, are a people historically known for reflecting within our own lives to determine how it is that we should grow closer to the image of God. And we want to grow into that image for several reasons. One, it's pleasing to God. First and foremost, we had a discussion not too long ago and asked somebody, why do you want to do nice things to God? Why do you want to have good behavior? And they said to me, because of what God has done for me. You see, sometimes when we experience God in our lives and he does great, wonderful miracles, it causes us to, to look to him in a different light, maybe with an attitude of gratitude for his love and his mercy and for his forgiveness and for the blessings. Maybe We want to become more like God because we want to live a more productive and peaceful life. It's not hard to understand if we go out into into the world, much less the church, if we go out into the world acting on our natural behavior. It is very likely that we are going to fail in many of our goals. Because God created the law not to condemn us, but to help us grow in his nature, that we experience God and that we live this life fully and abundantly. Don't repay evil for evil because that's just going to come back on you. And you might think, you know what? Vengeance is good. That that if I let my emotions be seen for what they are, then then somebody's going to look at me and say, I am a strong person because I have the backbone to to stand up for what I believe in. What change did you really make? The change you probably made was probably negative in the life of the person or persons who experienced your anger because now they look at you and me not only as a Christian but as a person 
as someone who is incapable of controlling our own lives. And if I'm looking at somebody who, who can't control their own emotions, then how can I expect them to be responsible for controlling or taking care of anything else of greater importance? That's how the world looks at us. And I think sometimes that, that, that's how God looks at us. He tells us quite often through many of his passages of Scripture that, that if we can be trusted with little, then we can be trusted with a lot. And if we can be trusted as a people to, to control our emotional state and be responsible for the way we respond, then we can be a prosperous people. If we can't control anger, then we can't control our desire to waste the blessings that God gives for us. But be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Brings a wonderful blessing upon everyone and to yourself. You see, it may not feel like it at the time when, when you feel like somebody has done you wrong. You, you may feel like you've been walked wrong and stepped on. And you may think that because I don't speak out, that I'm a weak person, but I'm here to tell you it's the stronger person that can, can bury their emotions, make a conscious decision of how I'm going to act and act on it. That takes work. That takes discipline. And in the long run, someone is going to look at you and say, you're the person that I want to be like. You're the example that I want to follow because you exhibit peace in your life and you are a person who exhibits the ability to work in a community of people and think not just about yourself, but think about your impact upon everyone around us. That is what we are called to do as a people. We as Christians are not called to sit in our houses and just reap the blessings of God. We are a people who are called to take into the world a message of hope, a message of passion, and a message of love to a world that is in need. And it's going to take more than just words to point people in that direction and it's going to take more than words to cause people to come into the family of God. It is going to take literal expressions of God's love toward God himself and then toward man and toward oneself to make a difference in the world that we live in. It's difficult, but it's a, it's a challenge, and, and it can be an inspiring thing if you let it. See, I like challenges in my life, and when I see that I'm presented with a challenge or I'm presented with an obstacle, I don't see it that God's punishing me or that God's putting something before me that I can't handle. I see it as an opportunity to grow. That when I want to, to go out and, and, and do something that I know I'm not supposed to do and the desire is there and the will is there, that God is ultimately saying to me through that circumstance, I know that you can handle this. I know that you can overcome. Just push yourself, challenge yourself, dig deep down inside and remember my word. You see, this growth that you're experiencing this uncertainty or this uncomfortableness is God's way of growing us into a greater people. And the greater we grow, the more blessings God brings upon us. And the greater the light we become 
in a dark and dying world. We are a light shining in the darkness for people to see. Paul I want to say accurate in his anger because someone did betray him and it didn't just impact his philosophy but but that thought came back into his church and then his people that he had been teaching that, that salvation is a gift from God are now wondering what they have to do to be good enough for God's love. He was justified in the anger, just like many of us are. But I think that as Christians, we have to be able to justify our actions before men and before God. I know John said something last week about a passage of Scripture where he said that if someone harms you, don't seek vengeance, for vengeance is mine, said the Lord. As a father... I want to take care of and protect my family, my wife, and my children. And if someone does something to harm them, and I'm not allowed to seek justice, but someone seeks justice on my behalf, I will feel as if I were robbed of what was rightfully mine. Does that track? Think of the Father in heaven who loves his children so much that he sent his only son out of his presence, out of the kingdom of heaven, into the land of Israel to bear our sins and to bear our iniquities. Think of the the father who, who would do anything for his children that would have the opportunity to seek justice taken away from him. See, that's one reason why we don't seek revenge for ourselves. It belongs to the father. Let the father discipline those as he sees fit. And then we say, well, what if the father doesn't discipline. And let me ask you this. Have you ever disciplined one child of yours for doing something wrong and not the other? Were there outward circumstances that that led you to, to one action with one child but to another action with the other? Totality of circumstances, maybe. Maybe the thought processes and the capability of one to be able to understand their actions more so than the other. 
but it's the father or, and the mother's right to choose whom and when their child is disciplined. And it's God's right to do that as well. And sometimes we just have to let go before that bitterness begins to, to take root in our lives. Just let go and, and let God be the Father. And when He seeks vengeance, when He seeks justice, don't celebrate it. Because that same justice and that same vengeance that, that He's exacting on one person, He could very well be exacting on me for the things that I've received mercy for. Let's learn to live in the likeness of God. Let's learn to, to love the same way that God loves us. Let us learn to love people. And let us learn to discipline ourselves to act in a godly manner. Amongst trouble and turmoil. You see, we don't want to be angry and we don't want to be bitter. We want to be a people who, who do what David did, and that is to rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice because He's made us glad, rejoice because of His blessings, and rejoice because of His presence in our very lives. So I guess what I'm asking of you and myself is this, that as we go out into the world and we go out saying that we practice real faith, let that faith be expressed in the way we respond to our emotional desires. And let that faith be expressed in the way we present ourselves and our actions to others so that we can continue to live out our faith, impacting the world for Christ. Let us pray. Father God, I come before you again and thank you for this opportunity that you have given us to, to gather here today. Father, as we begin to move forward in our lives, help us to understand that, that yes, there are things in our lives right now that, that make us mad, make us angry. Maybe we feel like we've been jolted somehow. But help us to, to turn our back on that anger and to reflect inward and think and consider how our actions would be, would be welcomed from an unknowing person and help us to understand how those actions would, would impact us in a negative way. But help us, show us the light, Father God, that, that would, would turn our thoughts and our desires around, that, that we can take those burdens and those, those emotions and, and lay them down at the cross at Calvary, at the, at the feet of your Son. And to walk away with the intent of never looking back but to walk away giving you glory and honor in our choice to praise you in all things. Help us to be a people, Father God, that will shine a light into darkness so that others can also know the peace through your Son. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.